2: Visit ImpressBeauty.com slash PressOn and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.
3: Hey
4: guys, it's Candace. It's just Candace today. Uh, Kayla is off being a big TV star. She's filming Roswell right now, but I'm so happy to be here with you guys. We have an incredible guest coming on today. Her name is Shannon Watts. She is the founder of Moms Demand Action. She's an activist. She's an author of Fight Like a Mother. And we're going to talk about guns and gun safety and gun laws. And before you pull on the brakes and say, hold up, Candace. This is not a political podcast. What am I listening to right now? Um, This is not a political podcast. We're not trying to be political. We're just trying to talk about what's going on in the world and ask the questions that we ask ourselves every day, um, but ask them into this microphone and sit down with people who are really educated in subjects that we want to know about. And I want to know about gun safety laws, Because even though I've not directly been impacted uh, by gun violence, I feel the, the ripple effect from just watching the news or going online or hearing about my kids' shooter drills. And I wanted to get real about the fact that I feel deeply affected by what's going on in our country right now. If I'm being really honest, I don't want to go to a movie theater on opening weekends anymore. I used to love going to movies. I'd go all the time. I'd go, well, I mean, this is before kids. You get it. If you're a mom, you just never go to the movies anymore. But I would go all the time. I'd, I'd go to multiple movies in a day. I would loved going on opening weekend. I'd have my popcorn, my Diet Coke. I put jalapenos on my popcorn. It's delicious. I highly recommend it. Um, but I don't like to do that anymore. And what's really gross is that I even felt uncomfortable taking our four-year-old to go see Frozen 2 on opening weekend. That was uncomfortable. I find myself constantly looking at exit signs and, and, and which is the quickest way to get out of there. And I find myself sitting there going, okay, if someone came in here right now, what would I do? I'd have to, in planning, okay, I, I would just throw my body over my child to my right. Or if she was sitting on my left, okay, I gotta go to the left. And I don't like that feeling. I don't like that feeling of during the holidays being in big crowds or big events or fireworks and thinking, oh, this is a situation in which someone could come and hurt a lot of people. And I have to think about that in the back of my mind. What would I do? I don't like now that I get nervous to honk my horn in my car because I'm scared if I piss off the wrong person, that they're just gonna pull a gun out and shoot me. It terrifies me. It terrifies me when I hear our teenagers talk about not their fears of a a shooter coming onto their campus, but already they've decided what they're going to do. And the fact that I was in elementary school when Columbine happened, my husband's from Colorado, uh, we grew up thinking, well, it can't get worse than this. And it's just progressively, progressively gotten worse. And what's scary is that it's becoming about something that it's not. It's becoming about the second amendment and rights, as opposed to the fact that people are dying. People are dying. Children are dying. And, and it's a scary world that we live in. And it's not just the world, it's specifically our country. And, To be honest i feel let down and so i'm just going to read some statistics i'm just going to read through some facts um because in doing research for this podcast episode these were some facts that i was really surprised to learn now i found all of these facts at everytownresearch.org And if you also want to figure out where they got these facts from, uh, they have all the data on that website. So it is mega fact checked (laughs) in a world where you're trying to figure out what's fact and fiction. um, This is these are the facts. Um, So gun suicides, more than 22,000 Americans die of firearm suicide every year. And one in five are by veterans gun violence in children and teens firearms are the second leading cause of death and the first leading cause of death for black children in the US every year nearly 3000 children and teens are shot and killed and approximately 15600 are shot and injured domestic violence and guns Approximately 4.5 million American women alive have been threatened with a gun by an intimate partner. The average yearly gun deaths are 36,383. Average yearly gun injuries, 100,120. And from 2009 to 2019, there were 223 mass shootings And every month, an average of 52 women, let me say that again, every month, an average of 52 women are shot and killed by an intimate partner. And a lot of these things, a lot of these statistics wouldn't be so high and wouldn't exist if we just had stricter gun laws. So we're so lucky to have Shannon Watts founder of Moms Demand Action, and the author of Fight Like a Mother, How a Grassroots Movement Took on the Gun Lobby and Why Women Will Change the World. She's here today to talk us through these facts and uh, tell us what we can do to make the world and our country a safer place. And we're here with Shannon Watts. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us on Directionally Challenged. I just want to jump right into your story of uh, how Moms Demand Action started and you were folding laundry.
1: That's right. I was folding laundry in my house in Indiana. When you have five kids, that's essentially a full-time job and watching the news. It was December of 2012 and I started to see breaking news around a potential active shooter in a place called Newtown, Connecticut, a place I had never heard of. And the anguished looks on family members' faces in the parking lot, and really just praying that it wasn't as bad as it looked. And as we all know, seven years later, it was a million times worse than really anyone can fathom even now, that 20 children and six educators would be slaughtered in the sanctity of an American elementary school. And I was, like everyone in the country, devastated, right? Just weeks before the holidays, trying to imagine what these families were enduring. And then I became angry because I saw politicians and pundits on TV saying the solution was more guns, that somehow, you know, these students and teachers would have lived if only there had been people who were armed all throughout the school. And I didn't know anything about gun violence. I didn't know anything about activism, but I knew that was wrong. And I looked online. I thought, okay, I'm going to get off the sidelines. I want to join something like Mothers Against Drunk Driving, which was so influential to me in the 80s. And I couldn't find anything. I found one-off think tanks run by men, mostly in Washington, DC. And I wanted to be part of a badass army of women. You know, that's who I'd seen get things done throughout, not just my lifetime, but history. And so I started my own Facebook page and keep in mind, I had 75 Facebook friends. Mm -hmm. So I was not a social media phenom, but I wanted to have this conversation with someone about the need for a MAD-like organization around gun safety. And if you know anything about type A women, you can imagine the immediate response that I had from women all across the country who had the same idea I did that day, which was that they wanted to work on this issue. And what I thought would be an online conversation grew into not only an offline movement, but one of the largest grassroots movements in the country.
4: One of my favorite stories from reading Fight Like a Mother, your book, was what happened at Starbucks. The And this was pretty soon after you guys had started. And it was called something else at the beginning.
1: It was. It was called One Million Moms for Gun Control. Not realizing until my daughter, who is gay, told me that One Million Moms was a group trying to get JCPenney not to use Ellen DeGeneres as their spokesperson. Um, and also finding out that gun control was really a verboten phrase, especially, you know, in the Beltway. So, that's kind of the benefit of having a focus group when you name an organization. I did not have that.
4: But that's what I love that you say, build the plane as you fly it. You have to figure it out as you go along. And especially, I think a lot of people get scared these days because whatever you put out there lives out online forever. And if you, you think if I make one mistake, then that just immediately ruins all the work that I've done. But to your credibility, you just, you learned from your choices and then you move forward and it just got better and better and grew bigger and bigger. And within, was this six months after you guys started, um, you noticed that Starbucks had changed their laws about allowing people to smoke cigarettes and e-cigarettes within their property. Um, And then, but they still had an open carry law that existed.
1: Right. So I was listening to the radio and I heard that Starbucks was no longer going to allow cigarettes or electronic cigarettes 20 feet outside their stores, regardless of state law. And we had seen Starbucks allowing something called open carry. It's legal in 44 states, largely unregulated in about 40. And essentially, you can go into public places, restaurants, retailers, et cetera, open carrying semi-automatic rifles, handguns, et cetera. And so Starbucks had been allowing this inside their stores. And I called them and I said, I see what you're doing around cigarettes. Will you do the same for guns? And they said, no, we're going to follow state law as it pertains to guns, and so here we were, only six months old. We were still very small, but we decided to take them on. And we used a hashtag called Skip Starbucks Saturdays, where we were so small we couldn't even do a boycott. We called it a momcot. I love that. So we showed much. pictures on the weekends of where we were having star- or having coffee, whether it was at our own homes or at a Starbucks competitor. And we also made images of what this open carry looked like go viral. And the more that we pushed on gun extremists, the more they pushed back. So suddenly they were showing up, over a dozen of them, for example, in Sioux Falls, where they were armed with everything from long guns to handguns. Um, They even ended up showing at the Newtown, Connecticut Starbucks. And it really did become this all out for about three months uh, battle between moms and gun extremists. And Starbucks was right in the middle and they did not want to be. Uh, In the early days, we had to really drag these companies in kicking and screaming, but clearly Starbucks did some polling that showed them that if they changed their policies, their customers would support that. And just a few months later, Howard Schultz came out on CNN and said guns were no longer welcome inside his stores. And we realized the power that we had as as women and moms that we make about 80% of the spending decisions for our families. And when we tell retailers and restaurants and other companies that we want to be safe, they listen. And we have replicated this now at dozens of grocery stores and restaurants and companies all across the country. Yeah, I didn't realize even
4: it's in just researching that CVS last fall, you could still legally open carry a gun into a CVS where they sell things like Oxycontin. Yes. It's wild to me. We're at the pharmacy. Like what it just, th- that blew my mind. But what also blew my mind is that before Howard Schultz ended up, you know, saying like, yeah, there's no longer an open carry law allowed at Starbucks. You had gotten the insider information like the night before and immediately
1: wanted to make sure that the world knew that moms did this. Yeah, I was sitting in a hotel room in Washington, D.C., and I was about to go to bed. I'm kind of a night owl, and it was late. And someone DM'd me a message that said, Congratulations, you won. And Starbucks had sent this memo out late, late at night to their employees to give them an advance preview of the announcement Howard Schultz was going to make the next day. And I have a long career in uh, public relations, and I knew that we needed to get out in front because this was our story, not his. And I can remember writing that press release in the middle of the night, I found a volunteer who was still awake to make a graphic. (laughs) And we were able to get out in front of the story before he ever went on CNN. I love it. I love the way that you talk about
4: the volunteers for Moms Demand, because it really does sound like this incredible family and this sisterhood. And I know, obviously, you guys invite um, what you call them, like other mothers. Mothers and others. Mothers and others. Yes. So Then everyone's welcome. Um, But I mean, especially in the early days, it just sounds like it just so many women came together. And especially recently, we've, I'm, we have three children in our home. And so, as you know, as a mother of five, that it's very time consuming and it's busy and you give, give, give. And sometimes you can kind of feel left a little on the empty side, but reading your book made me so proud and feel so powerful about being a mother. And so I can see why just like you just light this fire that so many are attracted to just wanting to continue to ignite because you're like, no, we, we are mothers. We are doctors. When we need to be doctors, we are chauffeurs when we need to be chauffeurs. We are the problem solvers of the world. And it's incredible that you've brought this group of moms together to really problem solve something that's going to affect Our children and their children. And yeah, I mean, I could just keep talking about how.
1: And to that point, you know, when we look at other nonprofits or grassroots organizations or movements in the country, so often um, the women do what are considered menial tasks, whether it's getting the snacks or setting up chairs or getting venues. And then often men come in and they get to take the spotlight and do the strategy. And I really wanted to be in an organization where women lead everything, soup to nuts. Yes, you probably will set up chairs at your event and check people in, but you also get to do interviews with all the local media affiliates at the end of the day. And you get to tell us, you know, what's the strategy for your state specifically. And I, I love that we have men joining us and that they're letting women lead on this issue.
4: And you were a stay-at-home mom for five years at this point when you had started this organization and for the record you like talk a lot about how you were not a fan of public speaking (laughs) this was not something that you're like oh finally my moment where i can
1: be on a stage and command an audience i am a a very serious (laughs) introvert uh people find that shocking because i'm the tip of the spear on one of the most volatile issues in this country I certainly didn't plan it that way. And I can remember calling in sick to work on days that I would have to do a public speaking event because it just, I I was so frayed by it. Um, But now it's, I've done it so many times over the last seven years that it's like second nature and my heart doesn't even beat any faster. So I am proof that anyone um, can overcome sort of their personality obstacles to do something that they're passionate about.
4: Was there like a singular moment within that first year that, made you go, Oh no, I'm leaning in. Like, I know I'm meant to be here mm. and I have to lean into this.
1: There were many times where I was overwhelmed in the early days because I went from being a stay-at-home mom to being busier than I had ever been in my entire life. Um, I was only five years in to my second marriage and my husband and I were spending every moment together. Um, and you know, I was tending to kids, everything from elementary through college. And I never imagined I would be taking this on. Uh, I think I was 41 at the time. And so I would, you know, sort of lay in my closet and cry and think, what have I gotten myself into? All of these volunteers are looking to me to lead. And yet, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm not sure I want to do this. And I overcame that probably within the first six months, just realizing, okay, lean in. This is what you're going to be doing for a long time in your life. And I also got such joy and such amount of reward from doing the work. I had spent, you know, 15 year career in communications, selling widgets, all kinds of things that just didn't ignite that same fire in me. And I was so passionate about activism and I felt like I had this, huge support group of, of sisters across the country who would make sure, you know, that they they lifted me up even when I was being torn down by these gun extremists. And it just became, the work itself became sort of all-consuming. And it ha- there's never been a dull moment now in seven years.
4: Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I mean, I- I- exactly what you're saying, extremists. And there is a very loud group of gun extremists, um, which we're also going to talk about. I want to get to in a a little bit later when we are talking about just that there are people in the world who are safe gun owners and no one is denying that. Um, but when it pertains to the gun extremists, uh, I know that they've obviously, this has been a tough road for you as well with just like online bullying and threats. And you've been through a lot. How do you get the the strength and the bravery to just can march on and just say, no, I will not just bend the knee to your, to fear.
1: Well, I think that's another reason why I decided in the early days that I was going to lean in because there's a part of my personality that when people try to silence or intimidate me, instead of worrying about whether what I'm doing is right, I get really angry. (laughs) So that was really a good recipe for activism in that every time that would happen in the early days, I would double down, I would never back down. Uh, And people would mail me letters to my home with cutout magazine letters, kind of like Son of Sam. Uh, They would um, find my phone number and so they would text and call me. They would drive slowly past my house. There were all kinds of things really in the early days that were scary, but also just made me so angry. And I did not know this underbelly of America existed. I had no idea that by starting this Facebook page, I would make so many gun extremists so angry. Um, But there is a role that toxic masculinity plays in this issue. And guns is just sort of another symbol of that problem. Does that still happen now? Very quickly, it became like, background to me. It really became white noise. I decided I would not be intimidated or silenced and I would not pay attention, right? So I block trolls all the time. Um, I refuse to sort of get into that back and forth with gun extremists because we're never going to convince that subset of people to vote the right way. We don't have to on this issue. Um, and there's still times that it is overwhelming or scary. The NRA recently started going after me personally, not just our organization. Um, this last week or so in Richmond, Virginia, you know, we had gun extremists show up, uh, armed to the teeth and 22,000, 22,000, mostly white males, um, showed up with guns in Richmond from all over the country. And they also were attacking me specifically online. And so that can get scary, but I feel like this is a last gasp. You know, this is about, a power differential. That's what it comes down to. And the reality is, you know, women are taking on more and more power and there's a generational and demographic shift in this country. And, you know, this is going to happen. For, I think
4: when people's, and I'll speak for myself um, until I really started doing the research and had the opportunity to meet you and um, really opened my eyes to what's going on. The small victories. Every time I would see a shooting on the news, it just felt, I felt more hopeless. I felt more helpless. Like, Oh my God, this is just the world that we live in now. And then just by, you know, going on Moms Demand Action on the website in every town, I realized, oh my gosh, there are so many important small victories that happen every day. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some of like uh, some of the sm- smaller victories that are encouraging to all of us to know? Okay, yeah, we're we're on the right track here.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting that for some reason, gun violence prevention seems to be the only issue that pundits and politicians and media often say there's no hope which is so bizarre. We don't say that about any other issue. We don't say that about immigration or any of the other crises that impact us. We certainly don't say it about global warming. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it comes to gun violence, there seems to be this attitude of, you know, nothing can be done. And that's what the gun lobby wants us to believe. But when you look at our track record as an organization, first of all, we play offense really well. So we have now passed background check laws in 21 states Um, That's something that Congress hasn't done. They will do eventually, but in the meantime, we're going state by state to make sure every gun sale has a background check. We have passed laws in 28 states that disarm domestic abusers. It's very easy for domestic abusers to either keep the guns they already have or access more. And so we work to strengthen the laws around that um, in state legislatures. And then we've passed laws in 27 states, and they're called red flag laws. And what they do is allow, depending on the state, families and or police to petition a judge to get a temporary restraining order that will allow the guns to be removed from someone who is a danger to themselves or others. We actually started that in California after the UCSB shooting, and the parents had called the police many times, and they said, there's nothing we can do. We know he's armed and dangerous, but we can't do anything. These laws have been found to be constitutional, um, and they're very popular with Republican and Democratic governors. So that's offense. Defense I never imagined we'd spend so much time trying to stop the NRA's agenda, which really was sailing through state houses before Moms Demand Action. We have a 90 percent. Why was it sailing through that? <laughs> like, that's where I, I guess I just don't understand. Is it like, is it finite Is it money? Is it-, it? It was money. The NRA, you know, for a long time was one of the wealthiest and most powerful special interests in the country. But it also has to do with the fact that only 17 percent of the 500,000 elected positions in this country are women. And so, you know, men um, and and increasingly conservative men, because legislatures have flipped many of them red in the last decade or so, they were passing these the gun lobbyist laws because there was no opposing force to show up and say, not in my community you don't. And we have that now. Now we have hundreds of thousands of moms and women and and mothers and others in red shirts who show up at every gun bill hearing and they say, Not in my community you won't. And who are also running for office, local office. Yeah, everything from city council to Congress. Um, Lucy McBath is now a congresswoman in Georgia. She used to be a Moms to Man Action spokeswoman. And I am i really do feel that there is a moral imperative for women to run for office. And I don't care if it's coroner or sheriff or congresswoman. It doesn't matter to me. But if you are a mom and if you are interested or involved in activism, you have the skill set to to run for office. That's something else you realize when you show up at state houses is, is these lawmakers aren't rocket scientists. <laughs> you know, if you are passionate and and caring and interested, you are just as if not more qualified than they are. Which is why you say just jump
4: in. That's right. Just jump in, which sounds so scary, but then whenever you say it I'm like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute.
3: They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor.
4: we're back. I just, because it's another favorite of mine. And I I was wondering if you still do the stroller blockades,
1: stroller, stroller jams, stroller jams. Yeah. I, I, you know, that was really an early days tactic and it was so effective. And the visual was so great of moms pushing their kids in strollers, uh, across state house lawns, um, jamming the, the hallways and state houses so that lawmakers couldn't just walk through. They had to like jump over our stuff. And so it gave us an opportunity to ask some questions. It just reminded me of those, like, have you ever brought your kids,
4: uh, to those like play rooms and it's like, or those like the science, you know, place. And like all of a sudden where everyone's eating lunch, it's just like 20 million (laughs) strollers
1: and like, no one can get anything. And your child's crying, being like, mommy, I just want my sandwich. And that's what this was like for sure. And, uh, that was, that was really fun. And it, it was a great way to say, Yes, we're moms, but we're also activists and we're also your constituents.
4: Yeah. And we are an important part of this country and it's, yeah, and things are happening. Um, I love how vulnerable you are also about the realities of the sacrifices that you had to make for your family and then also coming out the other side of that and realizing that you had brought together an incredible group of people who are also capable of running things when you're not there, um, can you talk a little bit about that moment where you had to like let go of your baby a little mm-hmm. bit so then you could kind of get back into your own life and and be with your family?
1: Yeah, you know, I've seen and I experience this myself, this trait in women often who can be per- perfectionist type A that either you feel guilty about giving the work away or you feel like only you can do it as well as it can be done. And I experience both of those emotions all the time. And so I was taking so much on myself and doing so much. And it was great in a way because my husband, my ex-husband, my kids, they all took on roles that they probably should have been doing anyway. (laughs) Um, And so that was good. But there were times when I needed to disengage as much as I could in order to care for my family. I talk at length about my daughter who developed an eating disorder when she was in college and how I would be driving to the airport and I would get a call from her and I would have to turn right around and say, look, I can't do this event. I have to be here for my my daughter. And what it made me realize is when you're an activist, this work, we always talk about it being a marathon, not a sprint. You don't get involved in gun prevention, gun violence prevention and think it's going to happen overnight. You know that it's going to take several election cycles, but it's also a relay race and you can hand the baton over to other people and you can trust that the work will still be there when you get back and that it's important to have and to allow other people to take on roles that they're passionate about because they bring new ideas and a creativity that you may not have anymore because you've been doing the work in the same way for so long. And I love that you're
4: very positive when it comes to the word failure, like that's okay to fail forward.
1: You're going, we're going to fail. We're going to lose. Right. And that failure is feedback. And I think a great example of this is in Arkansas, which is a tough state to do gun violence prevention work, as you can imagine, or at least it was. And for years, we didn't grow in the state. I would go out there and have lunch with the same very nice handful of women in Little Rock. And then what happened was a bill that forced guns onto college campuses flew through the state house. It was signed by the governor with an NRA lobbyist standing next to him. And it really pissed off women and moms in, in the state, particularly because it was allowing guns in Razorback Stadium, where you're tailgating and drinking alcohol. And we grew overnight from about two local groups to over two dozen. And they immediately took that political capital and carved out an exemption so guns could not be in Razorback Stadium. The next year, two of our volunteers ran for office and won in the state. One was a professor, one was a retired nurse. In fact, the retired nurse beat the man who put the guns on campus bill forward by 12 points. And then last year, even though there is a Republican supermajority in Arkansas— We beat back Stand Your Ground twice. And some Republicans who were interviewed said the NRA's agenda was too strident for the state of Arkansas. And had we not lost originally with that guns on campus spell, we never would be where we are now. Had you ever known anything about the NRA before you started this? (laughs) Nothing. Absolutely. I knew nothing about guns. I knew nothing about gun laws. You know, I knew nothing about activism. Um, But I can remember... When I started Moms Demi in Action, people were waiting for the NRA to respond to the Sandy Hook shooting. And it took them two weeks. And I think we all thought they would moderate, that they would say, this just is beyond the pale. We are going to support something common sense like background checks. And instead, they doubled down. I mean, that's the famous speech where Wayne LaPierre said, the only thing that stops a good guy or a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And that was an example of the NRA being pulled so far to the right By other gun organizations, particularly state gun organizations, who believe any law whatsoever is an infringement on the Second Amendment. Well,
4: I want to ask you some questions about guns and gun laws and gun safety. Um, And some of them, it's questions that I feel silly asking, but I'd rather open it up and have the conversation anyway, because you do know a lot about it now, all these years later. Um, Okay, what about if you, for the people who say I am a responsible gun owner, I personally do not own a gun, but I grew up in a home with responsible gun owners. And I thought that guns only belonged in safes and adults knew the codes and it was only for hunting and that's it. And I ate anything that was hunted (laughs) and that's how, that was my education of guns growing up. Um, but so when anyone hears like, wanting to make safer gun laws they immediately think oh guns are being taken away and so what is that is that necessarily what's trying to happen like all the guns are going to go away like we're burning the bras it's the prohibition of guns um or is it really just about safer laws and how do you how do you explain this to someone who says well i'm a safe gun owner
1: if once you have that conversation with a gun owner you'll find that you agree much more then you disagree. When you look at polling, about 80% of all gun owners support stronger gun laws, and that includes a background check, disarming domestic abusers, etc. There was a poll by a Republican pollster of NRA members, and he found that 74% of them actually also support stronger gun laws. So this isn't about gun owners or NRA members. It's really about the radicalized leadership and lobbyists of gun groups like the NRA and the lawmakers who are beholden to them, Um, many of our volunteers are gun owners or their partners are gun owners. This is not about undoing the Second Amendment or banning guns um, or being anti-gun. We're anti-gun violence. This is simply about restoring the responsibilities that should go along with gun rights that have been eroded over decades. Yes,
4: if someone has showed aggressive tendencies or is suicidal or has been taken in on a domestic violence abuse and has been arrested they probably shouldn't have guns in their home. And that's a very logical idea. And I just don't understand why people think that that would impeach on or take away that their own gun rights.
1: It's a very vocal minority of people who believe any law whatsoever will somehow lead to the undoing of the Second Amendment. That hasn't happened. We have states that have very strong gun laws, and they also have ha- very high rates of gun ownership, like in California.
4: For anyone who has family members that might be a little bit more aggressive or extreme on their own gun laws saying like, no, I, I would never give up my gun and this is my right and I'm going to leave it here on the counter because that's my right. And if you are a family member of that, how do you have that conversation with them? Have you encountered that before? Have, do you have any advice for anyone that might be wondering how to engage in.
1: Yeah. You know, I was talking about how we don't have to engage gun extremists because they're in the voting minority, but it's a whole different story if they're your friends and family, because you do have to engage. And, um, I can say from firsthand experience, you know, my dad and my stepmom both voted for Donald Trump. They are very, very conservative and they did not support my work at all in the beginning. And it really was just years of conversations about, what our agenda really is. (laughs) And, um, you know, my dad showed up at a mom's demand action rally wearing a shirt a year ago. So I've seen this over and over again with our volunteers, which is research and data and facts, as opposed to incredible emotion or anecdotes will always win the day. And if you have those conversations long enough, then I think you can come to an understanding. What about the
4: uh, illegal guns that are on the streets now? Is there anything that you've noticed in your research, or anything that can hopefully eradicate some of these those guns, or is that just all going to be? It depends on the law per state. And
1: yeah, we need federal laws. I mean, that is the bottom line, and that's our goal, and we will get there. Um, but in the meantime, we have to go state by state. Every illegal gun start every illegal gun starts out as a legal gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Virginia is such a good example of this. Um, there's something in this country called an iron pipeline, which is essentially traffic to guns um, and crime guns. And most of them start in Virginia. So the iron pipeline is essentially the I-95 corridor. By passing stronger gun laws, which we're about to do in Virginia, we know we'll be able to pass background checks and a red flag law. We will reduce the amount of guns that get into that iron pipeline. And that is effective, but every state is only as safe as the closest state with the weakest gun laws. So for so long in California, the crime guns were coming from Nevada. And we recently just passed stronger gun laws in Nevada, and we should see a reduction in crime guns now flowing into the state of California. But, until you know, guns pass state lines as easily as cars do. So that is why we need federal laws in place.
4: Is there a question that people ask you most often that you, that just... Or is it basically just like, what do we do? How do we, how is this ever going to get solved? Is it just one day at a time, one law at a time?
1: Mostly people are shocked that we're winning. I really spend a lot of my time traveling across the country and and talking about how we're winning. I think when people come to to hear me speak, what we end up talking about most is responsible gun storage. So about 4.6 million children in this country live in homes with unsecured guns. And even if you think you're in a blue state, I'm telling you right now, you're sending your kids to families and friends' homes who have guns. And it is an obligation on your part to ask if someone has guns and how they're stored. They need to be stored, locked, unloaded, and separate from ammunition. And we have a a program called Be Smart where we talk about that. Um, And I get asked a lot about lockdown drills. It never fails that I'm doing an event and a a woman comes up to me crying and says she's just sent her kindergartner to school And what can she do, you know, about these horrific lockdown drills themselves? Not just the gun violence, but the trauma caused by a lockdown drill. Those seem to be the two most common questions I get asked.
4: Yeah, we had a dinner over last fall, right, when all of our kids were going back to school with other friends who have little ones. And the whole meal was consumed with everyone showing off like, well, I was looking at this backpack that's bulletproof, but it's too heavy for my, you know, seven-year-old. But this one, the, the... in their sleeve is like pretty good at being bulletproof. And it's like, what is fundraisers for, you know, bulletproof canopies that you can place over children. And that, that was definitely a low point of like, wow, what, what does the world come to?
1: Well, and they're always going to be companies, whether they're selling products or marketing drills, um, they're going to try to make money off of this crisis, but that's why it's so important to get off the sidelines and get involved because that really is the only solution.
4: What do you do for fun? (laughs) (laughs) This
1: is like
4: a, such a serious conversation. I'm like, what do you do for fun? How do you, how do you just, I mean, I am obviously not involved and I'm learning, um, but just reading the news and turning on my phone can definitely make the weight of the world feel like it's on my shoulders. And I'm sure the actual weight of the world is on your shoulders. What do you do to just breathe?
1: We talk a lot about self-care because it is so important when you're doing especially this kind of activism. Um, I personally take a bath every single night, and that's sort of my escape, like a mini vacation. I do try to take regular vacations with my family or my husband, uh, and I like to be outdoors a lot. So hiking and just getting outside and being able to turn off my phone for a while. I'm fortunate in that I have the personality that this work is also so fulfilling for me that it, it doesn't really feel like a job, it doesn't feel onerous. But I I would say most of all, I work with people every single day who have been um, impacted by gun violence, either whether it's themselves or their families, their survivors. And I figure if they can wake up every single day and do this work to help others, then I can too.
4: Because you've not been directly impacted by gun violence. No, I,
1: I have never been impacted by gun violence. And yet, In this country when you see it on the news. I mean, we're all sort of secondhand victims of gun violence in this country because it is so prevalent and it's everywhere. The data shows about one in three people have been impacted by gun violence in some way in this country. I mean, think about gun suicide. So many of those people who've been impacted by that don't consider themselves survivors, and yet they are. Um, There's sort of a stigma that goes along with suicide in this country. And of the 40,000 Gun violence deaths in this country every single year, about two thirds are gun suicide. And a lot
4: of them veterans. Yes. Which if, if you want to talk about the Second Amendment and being patriotic to our country, it's remembering those who have fought for this country and our rights. And and unfortunately, suicide by guns is very high ranking and That needs to
1: be addressed. Well, and and often you hear, well, if people didn't have guns, they would find a way to die by suicide no matter what. And that simply isn't true. We have similar suicide attempt rates as other high-income countries, but we have much higher fatality rates. And that's because guns are so fatal. Um, In other countries where you attempt suicide, for example, with pills, um, you have a much lower fatality rate, but also you are unlikely to try again. And in America, you don't get that second chance necessarily, because if you use a gun to die by suicide, you know, that's going to have a much higher fatality rate. I thought it was also interesting from your book,
4: you were talking about the realities of if you're in the military and you have a gun, you have to go through training. You have to re, I think, up your license. You have to go through a test every single year in order to be able to keep your gun. And it's crazy that it, that those laws don't, exist. I mean, it's harder, it feels harder to get a driver's license. It is in many states. Like that DMV line just never ends. You can never get out of the DMV once you go there. And it just seems that that seems so difficult. And yet something that's powerful and can take someone's life and it ends up in so many irresponsible hands.
1: The NRA is trying to pass something called permitless carry state by state. They have succeeded in about 17 states. And permitless carry essentially allows you to carry a hidden loaded handgun with no background check, no training, no permit required. And that is their dream. It is a public safety nightmare. And that's something, you know, that we show up in state houses over and over again to try to stop. But imagine being able to be armed and and not knowing if this person has a criminal history, not knowing if they have any training. It doesn't make any sense, but it profits gun manufacturers.
4: Yeah, it was interesting. I, I realized I knew nothing about the NRA. So I, ju- I went on their website to kind of see like, OK, well, what are they saying? And what do they think? And and just to see the different perspectives. And essentially it was all saying the same things. It's just they were upset by the outcomes. Then like instead of being happy about the outcomes, like, upset about the red flag law or that. Um, I think one of the other bills that passed is that you could only buy one handgun a month in Virginia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead of more than one. But, you know, but still you could collect them if they were antiques or you could trade them. There were still a lot of loopholes within that, Um, but just very upset by the limited one gun per month rule, which I just found very interesting. I was like, these these seem like positive things. No one's taking away all your guns. They're just saying like, hey, if you're going to buy another one, maybe one. Just start with
1: one and then work your way up from there. You know, the evolution of the NRA has been fascinating because in 1999, Wayne LaPierre, who's their CEO still, said they didn't support guns in schools and that they did support a background check in every gun sale. So why, you know, 20 years later, are they radically in a different place? It's because they're selling more guns to fewer people. They've their demographic is essentially a white man over the age of 60 and an aging out demographic And in order to maintain their profit margins, they have to broaden their market to include women and younger generations. So how do you do that? Well, you tell women that they need guns to protect themselves from sexual assault, and you force guns onto college campuses, and you arm teachers, right? You inculcate people to believe there's guns everywhere for anyone, anytime, no questions asked. And that is their marketing strategy. And even when it comes to domestic abuse laws, right? So- preventing domestic abusers from getting easy access to guns. The NRA has said they don't support those laws because sometimes women lie about abuse mm. and they will take guns away from you know law-abiding gun owners. And so there, I, I've been doing this work now for seven years and I'm yet to see the NRA support any kind of common sense gun law.
4: At this point, what is your immediate reaction when you see that they've written something about you. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was, I was like, oh, look, it's Shannon. It was in the, the, uh, <laughs> was, oh gosh. Oh, I have it on a different page, but, uh, they had this like try. It was a whole letter to you. It was just a, a lovely shout out to Shannon. They call uh, me Shannon, which I love because yeah. that's like,
1: that makes me the Beyonce of the NRA yes. that I don't even need a last name. <laughs> it
4: really was crazy. And yeah, it was just Basically saying like, hey, Shannon, those were
1: our people, our NRA members. That's at- right. I said they were giving away magazines to random civilians yes. in Virginia, which they were. Which they were. Yeah.
4: They were get like hand, you know, not gun magazines, but like reading magazines. They were just passing them out. And- you just commented on that. And then they wrote a whole like love letter to you essentially.
1: And I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. I was hoping
4: you're going to say you get a giggle out of
1: it. I love as it. As <laughs> and every time they call me out to me, it just says we're winning. They're clearly scared of me. I like to call myself the NRA's worst nightmare. I really hope that ends up being in you know my obituary someday. <laughs> um, hopefully the first line.
4: What do you hope to accomplish moving forward? What's the most important thing going into 2020? Um, for mom's demand. So we
1: outspent the NRA and outmaneuvered them in 2018. We elected over a thousand gun sense candidates to office. We flipped the makeup of seven state legislatures. Then we had this amazing win last, last November in Virginia. We plan to play very big in 2020. And I am very hopeful that we will elect a gun sense president, that we will flip the Senate, that we will hold the house and that we will also make significant progress in state legislatures. Um, If anyone wants to get involved, all you have to do is text the word READY to 64433. And we will connect you to somewhere, someone where you live and help you plug in in your community and work on this with us, you know, whether it's legislatively or electorally or culturally, there's so many different ways to get involved. And I think 2020 will be a pivotal year for our movement. And we really need everyone to get involved.
4: And you can, it's more, it's, I was so excited to see that immediately upon going on the website and joining, there's like 10 meetings in like in the, in, by my neighborhood within the next two weeks and, and people are showing up even just for like coffee or Hey, there's a, there's a big thing coming up. So meet here if you want to get involved or so-and-so is running for council. So let's go support them. Um, which just feels, I think at a time when no one really knows what to do, or there's a percentage of people, myself included, who, who sit there and go, what can I do? I'm too small. I'm not educated enough within this subject. I'm going to say something wrong or what I do is not enough. um, that you make it so easy for everyone to
1: jump in. Well, and I also want to point out, point out that we have students demand action now, which has grown exponentially since the Parkland shooting tragedy. We have nearly 400 local groups across the country, mainly high schools and colleges and in cities. Um, and so if people want to get involved in that, you just text the word students to 64433. Just lastly, what
4: advice as a mother do you have for those, for other mothers and talking to their children about gun safety and gun violence that is running throughout this country?
1: Yeah, I talk about it in the book. I I think it really depends on your kid's ages. You know, the reason that I was so upset in part after Sandy Hook was because my son had been traumatized by the Aurora shooting in Colorado. He was at the movie Batman And had heard about the shooting and had a panic attack. And so when I went to tell him about the Sandy Hook shooting, I really thought he'd have a meltdown. He was in elementary school at the time. And instead, he looked at me and said, this is just what happens in America, Mom. So I think we have to be really careful not to inundate our kids with information that makes them anxious. But at the same time, they're already going through lockdown drills. So I I explain in the book about how to have these conversations based on the age level of your kids, but I'll tell you what, nothing will make your kids feel better than to see their parent getting off the sidelines, getting involved and knowing they're working to make them safer. In fact, um, in Virginia, I saw a volunteer talking to her kid who's going to school the next day and she said, you're going to have to explain to your teacher while you were up late with me last night. And this little girl who was so cute, she was, I think, about four. She said, I know, Mom, that's just what happens when you're a mom's man action kid. Oh. <laughs> so there's a lot of pride, I think, you know, among your kids that, that you're doing something.
4: Well, thank you for all that you do. And thank you for coming and joining us Thank today. you so much for
1: having me. I really appreciate it.
4: actually Challenge
0: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. code buttery exclusions apply see site for details
4: I hope you guys appreciated this episode I know I really needed it I'm so grateful to Shannon Watts and to all of the volunteers with Moms Demand Action and Students Demand Action and every town who are are showing up to really secure safe laws for us for our children for our children's children And it definitely inspired me to want to get off the sidelines and jump in, because I want to be on the right side of history for this. I really do. Um, If you guys have any questions or you want to learn more about Moms Demand Action, all you have to do is go to momsdemandaction.org. You can join, you can see where there are meetings and meetups in your state, in your city. Um, As I said, there were so many just in my neighborhood um, when I joined this past week. You can also go to everytown.org. Um, for more information, if you guys want to buy Shannon's book, which I highly recommend, you can also listen to it on audiobook. It's called Fight Like a Mother How a Grassroots Movement Took on the Gun Lobby and Why Women Will Change the World. And what's even cooler is that all the proceeds to her book go to gun violence prevention organizations. Uh, So definitely check that out. Moms Demand Action is also on Instagram. You can follow them at Moms Demand and just get involved. If you feel that calling, you know, as Shannon says, you know, how to become an activist, you just jump in, build the plane as you fly it. So thank you all. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for joining us. We'll have an all new episode of Directionally Challenged for you next week.